Hey everyone, welcome to Hosted. This is the podcast where we get to flip the script a bit and interview those who are usually on the other side of the mic, some of the most interesting people in the world, and those are podcast hosts. And today I'm super stoked to have Dr. Samuel J on the Hosted podcast. You can call him Sam, you can call him Dr. J, you know, really there's, you go by a lot of, a lot of different names. I, I get a lot of uh, a J, J Sam's uh, my entire life. And I'm sure my, if my wife listens to this, she'll, she'll get a good chuckle because when we first met each other, she was like, your name is Sam J. Yeah. <laughs> and my, my brothers are Joe J and John J. So <laughs> what are your, what do your students call you? Uh, Dr. J, Professor J, uh, Sam, you know, the seniors, once they have been around for a while. They just drop the doctor altogether. And and, just... Yeah, I'm comfortable, <laughs> comfortable with, uh, with Sam, so it's fine. And the interesting part about your podcast, Unfiltered, which is a podcast featuring craft brewery, those who are kind of behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, in, in the craft brewery world, but your co-host is also Jay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, I forget that sometimes yeah, So <laughs> Sam and Jay. So Sam Jay and Jay Schrader. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know if you, how much you want me to go into to the, the beginning of that, but we, I'll let you guide the conversation. So I don't think <laughs> yeah, we have Sam and Jay. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was pretty funny. I, uh, this, you're like the third host that I've talked to that's had a co-host, like currently has a co-host or has had a co-host with a, like a name, a same name, whether it be okay. the same first name or same <laughs> last first name. So I don't know if there's something there, but yeah. I haven't done very many podcast episodes yet. So uh, is, it could be becoming an interesting trend narcissism is probably what it is. Is, is that yes. what it is? Yes. Yes. <laughs> we like to hear our own name set in some way, shape or form. Awesome. Well, let's get into uh, to unfiltered because that that's the beginning of your podcasting journey, correct? Actually, we can get there. Oh, there's another one. So let's hear the very beginning. Oh, so here's the story. Here's the story. So uh, Jay Schrader, his brother and I went to grad school together, Brian Schrader. And we were both working here at MSU Denver together as affiliate faculty members. So part-time faculty members finishing our PhDs, writing our dissertations. And due to some departmental politics and uh, how curriculum changes occur, um, my department, which was communication studies and still is, but I'm an administrator now, we can talk about that. But I, we had this radio studio. Brandy. And it's like a $30,000, $40,000 radio studio that no longer had any students in it because broadcasting had moved from our department over to journalism. But part of the deal was you can't use the space. It's we, it's a crazy political. This, this seems very com complex. This is the politics and academics. Yes. yes. And I was the only one who knew how to use the studio. So basically, Brian and I figured out let's experiment and start a podcast. And we started uh, sports nerds. It was our first podcast. And it was, we wrote a lot together. We wrote papers, uh, academic presentations together. And our goal was to, to provide a, 
academic perspective on sport. And so that was the first foray into podcasting. And we will still uh, roll out a, a, an episode now and then. We, we kind of, we got a, a pretty good following and a lot of our friends really liked it. So uh, we enjoyed it. And sometimes there's just something that'll happen in sports that we need to, to talk about with each other and, and come up with paper ideas together. So sports nerds, it was, uh, that, that was our first attempt. And if you search it, on whatever platform, you'll see our mugs on there. Um, it was quite the experience. So when did you start Sports Nerds? Wait, roughly what year was that? That was probably 2000 and I got to think 15. Okay. So. And it's still in production. Yeah, we'll call it that. No, it yeah. is. It is. It yeah, is. it is. Yeah. When you have something interesting in the sports nerd world, to say you say it right we gotta say it yeah 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 it was a way for us to sound smart to each other i think mostly <laughs> well, it, was, and- we, it was crazy we had some we had some we had jj lane on there one time the what? guy from the bachelorette yeah how um, did that happen because he's a denver guy and well, he lives here now why did we have him on big hockey fan i think we were talking, we were talking about sports and celebrity and uh yeah, he came into the studio and, and uh, my my spouse, who's a, a big uh, reality TV connoisseur, uh, actually did the interview with us. So oh, it, was, fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, he was he was an awesome guy. Yeah, I really like he was made out to I realized very quickly how they make some folks out to be the uh, the bad guy or bad gal uh, when it comes to reality TV, because he was he was a good dude. Yeah, that's the that's the appeal, right? You have to you have to give him a little flavor. Yeah, you gotta, love them or hate them. You gotta suck us in. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. And did you always have guests on, or was it sometimes just um, you said Brian, right? Was that your? We had guests probably one out of every seven or eight episodes, and it would really depend upon uh, what you know what was the story that drew our attention. We had there were some interesting. We had a labor lawyer in the early days of uh, name identity likeness what's the nil i can't think of the ncaa uh, uh it allows players to make money off their uh, name that's not identity anyhow some sort of royalty thing Got it. Yeah. Royalty. we had a labor lawyer on because it was in the early days of, of i remember northwestern's football team was trying to unionize and so we brought on a labor lawyer we had uh and during olympics time we were became good friends with a, a, a researcher out of the university of alabama um, and Andy came on and talked about actually the, when it comes to sports uh, and sports media, it is a male dominated kind of world of content. It, it, mm-hmm. it is for right or wrong. But during yeah. the Olympics, especially this yeah, summer and winter Olympics, there's just this massive influx of, of coverage of female athletes. So we brought Andy on to talk about that. But, yeah, we kind of mixed it up. That's fun. That's really fun. And then. You decided to talk about beer, so sports and beer. That seems that seems like a really natural transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as a person who took plenty of gender studies classes, I perform my masculinity to a T. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the you know stereotypical masculine identity. But uh, so Brian's brother Jay and I became friends through Brian. And uh, Jay is. He's been a banker for many years, but he is really focused on small businesses. And a lot of those small businesses were breweries. And so we started our own company. This would have been 2016, 17, where we advised uh, craft brewers and craft distillers. 
So, you know, he would provide, you know, banking resources, walking them through SBA loans. Uh, you know, oftentimes it was over coffee or a beer that we would meet with these folks. And uh, I would help them with their marketing and their branding because uh, at the time I had a side hustle doing that. And, you know, we were having these conversations and we realized that we enjoyed these conversations. We had the equipment at the time, uh, not a studio, but a mobile podcasting uh, uh, kit. Thanks to Jim Fur, our former professor who built that out for me. And we wanted to start recording these conversations, right? Nothing that was going to be, uh, uh, you know, not illegal, but unethical in terms of business, but these were really interesting people. And we, craft beer is often at this time it's kind of changed a little bit but it's a it's a i think how craft beer is framed the consumer we were realizing is way different than how craft brewers understand themselves mm-hmm. you know <laughs> those folks they enjoy a good beer but um, they, they're not interested in having these long conversations about the kind of uh, uh, fruit that they put in their beer if they're given the, the potential to talk about something else. They're not. Sure. I mean, one of the things that we realized, and this is so ignorant of us as, as craft beer drinkers, is that brewers like to make Pilsner. They like to lager beers. And, you know, that's not what you see on shelves when you think about Odell or you think about New Belgium or uh, Denver Beer Co., but uh, these brewers love making that because it's the hardest to make, but it also, it's your opportunity as a brewer to showcase your talent more than any other beer. You can't overdo something with hops to make it, um, you know, to add that ABV and that IPU and make it taste different than just a lagered beer. So that was one of the first things that we, interested, that we were kind of, uh, that, that really sparked stuff. And then we started talking to craft distillers and then uh, COVID allowed us to, Believe it or not, it was an opportunity to expand our reach. And we reached out to brewers from across the country and had Zoom meetings and Zoom calls like we're doing right now. And uh, yeah, it was just a cool opportunity to expand our reach a little bit. So you get to really dive into so many other aspects to the brewer besides the, you know, what they're kind of putting out into the world in terms of advertising and communicating with their consumers. Just really cool. I didn't even know. It's almost like the um, the lager being like the purest form. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, there's there's so many things that we learned, and so many things uh, that folks open up about once you have a beer or two with them. And it's it's not necessarily just the beer. It's the conversation. We 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 call it unfiltered, not because you know of the product that these brewers make, but because of we didn't want to spend a lot of time in post-production. We mm. both have full-time jobs. We both have families. It, it wasn't going to be a full-time gig for us. We just couldn't do it, but we wanted to be as authentic and genuine as possible. And so I think that the conversations that we had were a natural progression of coming in there and laying everything out on the table and just wanting to know what got people into beer. And, and also Jay and I don't know a lot about beer. I mean, we do, we know more now, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're experts, but we know a lot, but that's through conversation. We, we were not the folks who stood in line at Weldworks to get beer. Um, that wasn't our jam, but we knew these people were interesting and we knew that most of them probably didn't get in it for the money. So yeah. why did they have this passion project? And, you know, over the course of, 200 episodes. I think we, we, we've gotten there and man, we've, we've learned a lot and we've met some really awesome people. 
and friends. I mean, we've met friends that we will have forever. I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool. I think that's the best part of podcasting is that you do have this really intimate conversation with folks that you didn't even know previously, but yeah. then you, you learn that you have a lot of similarities. You learn to connect on a level that you didn't anticipate going into it. Yeah. I do feel like it offers up the spontaneity that we oftentimes don't have in our day to day, especially now. So, but so when you were traveling around to probably mostly Denver Metro breweries, I would assume you got to sample the beers. Mm -hmm. So when you're zooming all over the country, do you go and purchase the, the, the beer of the folks that you're going to be speaking to, or how do you decide to who to have those conversations with? We actually, there were a couple folks that we did interview that sent us stuff. Um, so they were able to ship their product. There was a hard kombucha maker who are, who also made regular kombucha and beer in where were they? They were somewhere in Nebraska, Hastings, oh, wow. maybe. And they, sh they shipped us some stuff and, you know, we, I left some on Jay's porch because it was still <laughs> locked down and uh, we did that kind of stuff. So yes, I mean, there were two or three opportunities for us to do that. We couldn't do it all the time. But whenever we had a chance to, you know, uh, support those breweries by going into grocery stores or liquor stores and and grabbing that stuff to prepare us for the interview, we did do that. Yeah, that's wonderful. And how, you know, we talked just a little bit before we pushed record here about guests. I don't know. Do you find it difficult? I guess I, you know, it's everyone comes to the interview in a different mindset. And some are more talkative than others. How do you get people to, how do you get to the good stuff? So I'll, I'll walk things back a little bit and say that we were very fortunate to have a sponsor in Tivoli Brewing Company when we first started. So this was Tivoli circa 2016, 17. And I mean, it was a very, in a lot of ways, it was a pretty traditional craft brewery at that time. It was run by Ken Heyer, who was uh, uh, a very well-known uh, name in the local craft beer scene. He'd worked at Coors for a long time, but he's also, he just, he, he kind of worked a lot in, in different kinds of, of areas. Their brewer, uh, Nate Nicholas, uh, you know, Nate was teaching here at MSU Denver. He was a professor. They also had another brewer who, who was teaching here and uh, their GM, those folks really, really kind of, we're willing to take a, a risk on us and support us. And so what that did, I suppose, to go back to your, your question was it gave us some credibility yeah. that we could use to leverage, that we leveraged and to, to reach out to more folks. So we kind of grew this network of, of brewers who knew each other and it made things a lot easier for us. So, you know, that led to, well, I guess we very quickly realized that there, there, there are kind of these trees of craft beer especially in Denver. So, you know, once you go talk to somebody who worked at Great Divide, uh, who has now started their own brewery, so Spangalang, the guys from Spangalang, there are other recommendations. They can say, oh, you know, so-and-so worked at Great Divide too at the same time. And so you have those connections. Same thing with New Belgium. Uh, same thing with, there was a couple of folks from, from, where was the one in Michigan? Not Founders. It might've been, anyhow, there, there was just trees of craft beer. So yeah. we were able to take advantage of that. And, you know, once we had credibility from one tree, uh, we were able to kind of take advantage of, of more folks that were in that same lineage. 
And is there a lot of crossover just within markets? Like are people moving from Denver and going to start a brewery in Michigan, for example, or like, how does that all, do you see the connective tissue there? I would argue, and, and apologies to our craft brewers who are listening to this, but 10, 15, well, say 10 years ago, you kind of had to go to the Seabold Institute, which was this institute that taught you how to craft, how to make beer. Okay. okay. There's one in Chicago. Uh, where were some of the other ones? I'm trying to think, you know, the original one would be in Europe, Belgium, I believe. And, uh, but you could go and just, it's kind of this immersive week or two week long, you know, class that you learn to make beer and all this stuff. But what, what kind of shifted was Colorado became such a massive craft beer scene mm -hmm. that you would have somebody who would go to CSU or come here to MSU Denver and study something like chemistry, never having the intention that they wanted to be a chemist, but that they wanted to make craft beer. Yeah. So that a science that they had allowed them to follow their passion towards making beer, then they kind of spread out. So I think Colorado is often under, undersold as this this hub not of craft beer but of of craft beer minds uh, of craft beer thinkers and that really kind of expanded out so you now have you know we, we interviewed a craft brewer from iowa city iowa which i'm from iowa southeast iowa but he's the head brewer at big grove which is probably the largest brewery in iowa now yeah um so you know andy's there but uh, there's some other folks from this area who have spread out, gone west, all of that. So I think that kind of answers your question of, 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 of the, the beer tree. But it's, I guess, my, to go back and summarize what I said, we've moved from those trees being craft breweries that become large and become regional breweries to schools or certificate programs. And that's what we're beginning to see. You know, they, they, yeah, they get a degree in it and they work somewhere for a year or two and they go off somewhere else. It's not, it's not still not a lucrative position, but I, I mean, and I do think that having that, that degree in, in beer operations or brewery operations, as well as the, the work ethic and the experience, it makes for a pretty strong resume, pretty strong case for somebody who wants to either start their own brewery or go somewhere and be somebody's head brewer or director of brewery operations. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And we didn't, we didn't touch on this, but I'm also from Iowa. Where are you from? Uh, I am from Columbus Junction. So it's just South of Iowa City. How about you? I'm from West Liberty. Oh my God. Oh, close. Yes. I went to the University that of is... Iowa. So when yeah. you said Big Grove, I actually, one of my friends, he does like all of the uh, chalk art for um, the, the brewery there. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Plenty small of time. World. Yeah. Very small. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, that's, those two towns are very close to each other. So. Yeah. And are you, you're in Colorado now though, right? I am. Yeah. I'm in Denver. Yep. So yeah, this is as far West as Iowans get. It okay. is. It yeah. is. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like a, it's the hub, right? Yes. I feel like it's when we first moved here, gosh, it's been 18 years okay. that I've lived in Denver. And I, you know, was super excited. I lived in Iowa my entire life, was yeah. really stoked to meet new folks from various parts of the country. And all of my friends are from Iowa. <laughs> yeah. We didn't know each other, but <laughs> so many gravitate agree. towards each other. So yeah, yes. that's so funny. What a small world. Yeah. I remember we, uh, yeah, it's so small. I mean, 
my wife and I both went to Iowa and when we first moved here, we would go to the sports column yes. and, then we, we, and then we had kids and we were like, you can't bring kids to the sports no. column. It was Esther's for a while. Esther's, Esther's a good, is great. Yeah. yeah it's a great Iowa, Iowa bar. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I always thought the sports column here smelled like the one in Iowa City. <laughs> smelled, they were, they were identical. Stale beer. Yep. And, and other bodily fluids. But we'll <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah. Yes. That's great. So, you know, go, kind of going back to the beginning again. So first podcast born out of interest, right? That's just something that you really enjoyed yes. talking about, a colleague yes. that you enjoyed chatting with the sports about, yep. and the, kind of on a deeper level. And then still interest, but also pivoting to something that would complement your business yep. at the time. Yep. So now we are, um, we have a few more podcasts that we're working on, correct? Yeah, that that yeah. also complement your position at the university. Yes. I, I was trying, as you were saying that, I was trying to think what the through line is. And I think I just like listening. I, I don't necessarily like talking as much. I like to listen and like ask. I, I like to learn from people. Like everybody's got something to share. And that that definitely co or crossed paths with my academics research, which is you know kind of language and and persuasion and how we make sense of of our uh, ourselves and our realities. So you know how does one's identity get wrapped up in sports fandom is the same as how does one's identity get up get wrapped up in the in the the beer they make, and then now uh, you know a year ago I started working with. Uh, President Janita Davidson, uh, who's here at MSU Denver, and as her faculty fellow, and we wanted, you know, she she knew that I was into podcasting. She wanted to start kind of a leadership podcast. Right, it's called the Roadrunner Exchange, and um, it was also in the middle of you know COVID. So a lot of folks were rightfully frustrated by not knowing how decisions were made regarding masking or social distancing or why the state was doing this and the city was doing this and MSU Denver was doing this or the campus was doing this. And so that, that podcast was, was initially um, our attempt to provide some insight into that. But, but once we started talking and we expanded to talk to other leaders on campus, I think that it was, I was more intrigued by, seeing how somebody's decision-making was influenced by who they viewed themselves as a person and also how that decision-making kind of constituted their identities. It's kind of this, this cycle of, of impacting uh, who they are and how they experience the world. So, you know, Janine still gets on the podcast as much as, as she needs to, you know, if there's something that comes out about the state budget, she wants to do an interview just to discuss it. We did one a couple of weeks ago, just about leadership and some of the tough calls that she's had to make because she was under undersecretary of the Navy for several years. And so there's some kind of high level uh, Department of Defense stuff that she had to make some calls on. But, you know, I talked to uh, Provost Alfred Tatum, who's our new provost. Now he's been this, been here a year. I talked to Casey Gerhart, who are, who's our director of, uh, of government affairs. Uh, talked to some other folks who are doing some things on campus with the idea of just trying to get into their brain a little bit and figure out how and why they make the decisions that they do. And so, you know, that's, that has taken off 
more than I thought. It's got the support now of our strategic communications team. And it's very much focused on our internal constituents, our students, our faculty, our staff, and helping them understand why a particular decision was made. So there's that one. And then I, I I kind of farmed myself out a little bit to, uh, I help our, our Office of Online Programs do a podcast on online learning. So uh, talking to chairs and, and faculty and uh, students who have uh, taken online courses. So it's, there's a lot of Q&A about how certain programs or departments make the decision to provide an online offering and that kind of stuff. So again, it's very, it's very technical. Uh, it's not so much for an external audience, but we, uh, you know, Jay and I are, we're, we're trying to figure out our new schedules and, you know, he's got a new job. I'm, I've got a new job. I'm director of faculty affairs now here at MSU Denver, but once we are able to get our, our, our bearings a bit, I think, uh, we'd like to kick off unfiltered again, because we, I think our last interview was probably December. So, yeah. you know, we used to have one every week. Now it's, uh, it's a little bit more, it's a little harder to do that, but yeah, we did. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. You I will. Think, yeah. 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 Congrats on the new role. That's Thanks. great. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I like it a lot. It's cool. And now I'm just like the podcasting guy. Oh, Sam's. Going <laughs> you want to start a podcast? That's what's crazy. And you probably know this too. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, Brandy. I bet I get an email a week from somebody, a faculty member, a student, a staff member. Hey, I want to start a podcast. Can I get you a coffee and we can talk about that? And uh, I like talking about it. It's fun. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, they're everywhere, you know? They are. They are. We hear it all the time. And in fact, our clients, so our business is that we book our clients on okay. podcasts okay. as a means to get their voice heard. So yeah. working with founders of companies, C-suite executives, yeah. taking their expertise and sharing it with the world. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, like, I love to hear that. I love yeah. to hear that. And and I think it's changed in the same way. If we go back, I don't know if we, you know, we were talking about YouTube earlier. I think YouTube really changed how one could monetize their content. You didn't mm -hmm. have to reach 150 million people anymore. You could literally, you can, you can monetize a hundred thousand listeners. You can monetize even less than that. And I think podcasting has done the same thing in that, you know, Jay and I can run ads for a barley or a malt, a malting company, right? Or, or a company that uh, makes, uh, see, so what did Matt, Matt make? Um, yeast, right? So a yeast, a yeast lab, but only serves Denver. But he knows I can run an ad on their podcast. And there's a good chance every single brewer in this city is going to hear that ad. That made that mm -hmm. we don't have to have a hundred thousand listeners. We yeah. literally have to have 200 people. And that's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel kind of. So that's what I, I love. I love the democratization of making podcasting uh, economically viable. So. Yeah. And you brought up a really good point is that if you're serving a, a particular niche, right, that you're speaking directly to a particular audience, they're interested in the topic that you're bringing. Yeah. To audio, um, you don't have to have a giant show. You don't have to be, you know, the top 0.1% of, of all iTunes shows. You have a following and that following is loyal. And what you say, they're typically going to, to listen yeah. and p potentially invest in whatever it is yeah. that you're, you're letting them know. Yeah. You're giving value to them. Like you feel... Yeah, there's something, it, it doesn't feel like you are 
a shill for you know a t-shirt company like you're giving yeah. value to these folks i forgot to mention there was a time where sports nerds was on am radio was AM, it really radio. yeah we got contacted by a station who shall not be named and uh we signed an initial six-month contract and at the end of it we were like this is no good well we were supposed to talk about the broncos a lot and oh. we were like we're not broncos like this is not like we're talking about marks and sports uh this is like Like, have you listened to our show yeah 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 so that was it was it was amicable and things were good but we realized that was not for us and we had to go try we had we were required to find advertisers which was not yeah that's like a whole different skill set right there it's not why you got into podcasting So when you're talking to your students, you know, being in the head of the communications, where does podcast fall into, to, I guess, the Mm -hmm. higher education? What kind of conversations are you having? I've done it in classes before where I'll make podcasting or a podcast a required project. And the reason why I did that is because, and I don't want to, this is not tooting my own horn, but I think five, six, seven years ago, I saw the writing on the wall in terms of what podcasting was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like it's a cheap opportunity to produce content that can be really strategic in what's in that content. So you talk about CEOs that you work with or C- C-suite execs. I mean, that's the perfect example of a company making organizational content or branded content that adds value for an external audience, as well as gives an opportunity for a CEO to explain to you know employees why decisions are made. Yep. So I wanted to give my students some sort of skill that they could leverage when they left college and they ended up being in an HR department or ended up being uh, in a strategic communications department somewhere, an organization downtown. And so, you know, there's that very technical skill but also, I mean, storyboarding, pitching, uh, you know, writing, creating narratives, uh, under audience awareness, all of this stuff. So it was like this perfect way to have both technical and kind of, I guess, theoretical or philosophical skills. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, again, that, that's, I went to film school and I think I learned more from having to plan out a movie than I ever did shooting it. Uh, had anything about audiences and all of that. So I wanted to yeah. share that with my with my students. What's interesting now, can you talk about in higher ed? There are, so there's two, three podcasts I listen to that are higher ed specific, not the Chronicle of Higher Ed. Maybe it is the Chronicle of Higher Ed. They've got a biweekly podcast that comes out and it's just fantastic, right? It's a summarization of all the articles they published that particular week, but they'll focus in on one article and they'll talk to the person who wrote the article. And it's a good way to consume their content. It's a good way to stay up to date on what's going on in higher ed uh, while I'm on the train, while I'm driving, any of that. So I really lean on that kind of stuff uh, for for my consumption. And if there's something I want to dive in deeper, I can go to the Chronicle and read. But, you know, HBR, uh, the HBR idea cast, it's a great one. It is. It is. You know, that's one less article. I it's an article I want to read that I don't have to because I can just listen to it. I wish they put everything in audio form, but I realized what I can't. But uh, yeah, it's it's I love that kind of stuff. There's so much good stuff out there. There really is. There really is. It's almost overwhelming. I'm in like the I'm in the kid carpool mode. So it is, yeah. 
it's really the only thing that kind of gets me through carpooling these days yeah. is is listening to podcasts and learning something. So I'm like, well, I'm just sitting in the car for like two hours a day. So I should be using that time to expand yeah. my knowledge. Yeah. You can kind of binge stuff too, right? I mean, the new stuff that you find, you can go back and listen to years worth. Like, I love that. I know. I know. That's the best part. That's the best part. And I, and I would assume, you know, much like what we do with our clients, what you've done with the university and, and bringing those, those shows to, um, to fruition, what a great opportunity for people to have a better connection with folks who are making these decisions. Because a lot of times, you know, I think in, in all aspects of our world where, where we find conflict or where there's misunderstanding, it's just that we, we don't have enough knowledge. We don't yeah. have enough background knowledge to understand somebody's point of view or where they're coming from. Yeah. So I would assume that that has done wonders in just allowing people to tune in and to hear those perspectives and just have a better understanding of how things are laid out and decisions made. We're so busy and it's not like podcasting is passive consumption, but you can learn like you're pointing out, right? You can gain knowledge in a way that is so much less invasive in your daily life that you have to appreciate that. Podcasting is not, I'm sure in five, six, seven years, we can have some sort of academic conversation about this, but to me, it's, it's AM radio. Yeah. Oh yeah. This isn't new. No, it's not new. It's not new. We've been doing this. Yes, yes. That, we just repackaged it. We did, but there was clearly a, a desire for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's a, when I was in grad school, my buddy Josh Jones, who owns a, a, a country, like an outlaw country music station in Dallas, he wrote a paper, and I'll never forget this. He talked about how right-wing media made a strategic grab for country music listeners in the late eighties and early nineties. Mm. And what happened was they kind of sucked all those listeners out of AM radio. So, and they, and they put them over into uh, their, their kind of, I don't know, cookie cutter country music that is probably, it is still around. So it tastes, sounds like pop. Right. Yep. Um, but we're kind of, Maybe that's not right wing. I don't want to say that in a negative way. That's not what I mean, right? But I mean, like, but right of center political perspectives that could mix and, and grapple and wrestle with with moderate left perspectives. That kind of political talk was gone, and it was moved over to FM radio. But I think we there's been this need to have those perspectives to be able to consume different perspectives, and it's just you know, radio is you know. Radio is such a good way to do it. Podcasting is such a good way to do it. There's something not safe, but you know, it's just, it's, you're going to get a lot of taste of a lot of different things. And I think podcasting has kind of filled that void in, in, a, in a lot of ways. And there's, there's some great political stuff happening in podcasting. Um, I listened to Josh Barrow's stuff. He used to have a podcast called left, right, and center. Yeah. You do you remember that? Yeah, it was so good. And now it's, yep. he's got his own podcast. I can't think of, uh, I, I can't remember the name of it, but yes, yeah, yes. yeah. But anyhow, I don't mean to kind of no. hijack this conversation. No, no, no. You're great. You're great. Like it's a good way to learn passively. So Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I definitely think it brings us it just brings us closer to people yeah. <laughs> in yeah. a in a way that isn't 
there's no, there's no confrontation. You just get to listen. You just get to consume and then you can make your own choices and, and have a better understanding where some, where another human being is coming from. There's something so intimate about audio too. Yeah, it it truly, it's, it's incredible. So as we're kind of, as we're wrapping up this interview, thinking about the listeners and knowing where they might be in their podcasting journey, they could be wanting to start a podcast. They could be on episode 10. They could be on episode 500 wanting to make a pivot. What are a couple pieces of of advice that you would give? A plan. So timeline, storyboard, but I'm also thinking strategically plan. Yeah. So what are you capable of in terms of producing a podcast? How often can you produce it? How long should they be? How much time can you commit to recording? What skill set do you have for editing? Think about that and be completely realistic about that. And I'll give an example. You know, we were for unfiltered, one episode a week became exhausting. Mm-hmm. And two, you know, professionals who had other jobs, it was almost as if COVID kind of allowed us to take a breath and just go, right? And we're still trying to figure out what that means, but figure out what you can provide. What can you give? If you really want to give, what is it? What is it? And then also, you know, what interests you? So what interests you? Plan it out. And I think if you're not concerned with numbers, then do whatever you want to do. If you're trying to make money off of it, really do your market analysis and take an angle, take a perspective that is authentic, that is you, you're not selling out for it and commit to it. You know, it goes back to sports nerds, academic sports talk or unfiltered as drinking beer with brewers. We're not the brew bound podcast. That is not, I mean, there aren't a lot of craft beer podcasts out there, but if you listen to uh, Jessica and Justin, who they're great, they've been on our show that's not who we are. And that allowed us to be more efficient in how we produced our podcast, but it also allowed us to, I think, build an audience that saw us as authentic. And it allowed us to tell a lot of stories about brewers who probably didn't, or they weren't able to tell their stories in other ways. So, I mean, we were, this is not a pat on the back, but we had years before craft beer had their massive kind of- Like their debut. Well, no, I think no, no, there are stories of, of, of sexual harassment, oh, sure. also yes. racism, yes. you know, all the, all that stuff that left a black eye in the industry. I mean, we were talking to people who were telling us this was going on before it was actually exposed. Yeah. When they were, and they were critical of the, the, the flannel wearing bearded white dude who owned a brewery and yeah. they were right to, they were right to. And I think that, you know, it, we, it's not as if we uncovered that thing, but we were proud of ourselves for having those conversations before anybody else was. was. Yeah, so. that that's great. That's incredible. That's wonderful advice to anyone, no matter where you're at in your podcasting journey. You now you have to like really take a stance. Like if you want, if you're going to invest time and you want people to listen, you've got to make it different than what's currently out there and have a unique perspective and be bought into it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Otherwise, you're just going to run yourself into the ground. Yeah. Totally. As it's exhausting. It's hard work. It's not, it's not easy. If you don't have a team helping you, you do all the lifting. Yeah. Talking, being invested in conversation is, is exhausting. It just is. It's natural. 
It is. Absolutely. I have a a random question to ask you, but I think a really important question. If you were a kitchen utensil, what would you be and why? A potato masher. That was so quick. Yeah, I would think they look. Have you answered this question before? No. Okay. They're because they're the thing that's in the thing. They're the thing that's in your pantry or sorry, in your in your drawer that unless you know it's a potato masher, you have no idea what the hell it is. (laughs) Like that's there. You have to have used that thing to know what it is. You have to have like this this very physical, uh, historic relationship with it. And I think uh, uh, that's probably you know. I don't know. I think a lot. That's of people, you. That's me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're also very ineffective, which is probably me. Like if I'm making mashed potatoes, it's way better to just whip them up with a, with a, a cake mixer. With a blender. Yeah. 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 With a blender. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it takes a while to learn that. So. Well, I don't know, but there's a lot of satisfaction in that hand masher. That's, that is true. What's, what's yours? What's your go-to? I always, I, my go-to is a whisk. Okay. Okay. A whisk. Yeah. I, th- I feel like I'm my whole purpose is like bringing things together and like just whisking it, whisking okay. everyone together. So bringing in different perspectives, bringing in folks okay. from varied backgrounds and putting them together and yeah. figuring out places of common ground. I dig it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us on hosted us thank as you. in me. And then I have a couple people at Kitcaster that helped produce this podcast, which I feel very fortunate to have. This is awesome. This was great. So yeah. I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. And please go check out Unfiltered. Yeah. They're going to be starting back up, but there are plenty of episodes to binge on, over 200. Yeah. So you can get started there and then they'll be hearing things back up again. And don't judge us. It's unfiltered also because we use colorful language sometimes. So <laughs> that is that is why. I mean, but, that kind of goes hand in hand. I yes, 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 yes. You know, people well, would thank expect you. that. Yes. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Of course, Brandy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to Hosted, a podcast brought to you by Kitcaster, a podcast booking agency. If you want to find out more about Kitcaster, about Posted, find us on all of the relevant social channels and tune in to more episodes of Posted. Take care. <laughs>